0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church where we are one church meeting in five different locations and our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are in the book of Acts. Get out your Bibles, get out your devices, uh, something to take notes with a notepad if you're old school like me, uh, write some stuff down. We've been in the book of Acts now. This is our fifth week and we still haven't got through two chapters yet. Little pop quiz. The book of Acts was written by a dude named Luke. Luke wrote the book to a man named yeah, Theo. Theo Huxtable, no, Theopolis. And uh, the book of Acts is simply the the second installment of the book of Luke. So you can read Luke and continue right into the book of Acts. And in the book of Luke, Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and teach. It was Jesus's ministry. But the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do and preach through us, through his church. It's the Acts of the apostles. And uh, this is, the book of Acts takes place right after the resurrection. If you remember, uh, Jesus died on a Friday he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But y'all, on the third day, he got up and he rose from the grave. The, the cross couldn't hold him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't stop him. He resurrected. He, he, he got up. He, he resurrected. And that's where the book of Acts picks up. This resurrected Jesus comes back and he's going give some final instructions to his disciples. And he says, I'm leaving you, but I'm sending someone. I'm sending the paraclete. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, the helper that's going to be with you. He says, he's coming and he's going to give you power to be my witnesses. And that's what he tells them. But he says, you got to stay here and you got to wait, wait in Jerusalem. And so they wait, they wait for 10 days. And then 10 days later, this is where Acts chapter two, we were in this, uh, the last time we were together in Acts chapter two, it says the Holy spirit comes in like a mighty rushing wind. It's like tornadic activity. And then they begin to speak in these other tongues, these other languages in the, the city. They were there for the city, the, the, the feast of Pentecost, these people who were there for the festival come out and they hear what's going on and and they said what is happening these dudes must be drunk and paul says y'all it's too early to be drunk these dudes aren't drunk they're full of the holy spirit that's what paul says and that's where we're going to pick up this morning so if you've got your bibles your devices you can look on the screen every note that's in front of me is going to be on the screen acts chapter 2 i'm going to read you 13 verses peter's going to go on to give the first sermon ever recorded in the history of the new Testament church. And here is his sermon. It's a lot shorter than mine is today, by the way. I'm going to read you the entire thing. He says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised them up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand and I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Only one see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about this patriarch, David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified." I just want to take a few minutes this morning and I want to preach to you in this subject of a call to repentance, a call to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, speak to us today. Speak your words, speak your thoughts, change us today from the inside out. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. A call to repentance. I have now been in ministry full-time for 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, I got started when I was 11. Not 20 years, 20 years. I was, I was 23. Actually, my first day of ministry, this is crazy. My first day of full-time ministry was September 11, 2001. The day that the towers were coming down, that was the first day that I was working full-time at a church. So my first day at a church was literally sitting in front of a, a TV on a cart. You remember how in school we had the TVs on the, watching the towers come down. i always remember my first day of ministry. I'll be celebrating 20 years in uh, a few months. But the first message I ever preached was about a year and a half uh, before that. Uh, the first message I ever preached was in June of the year 2000. And I spoke, I preached at Two Rivers State Penitentiary in Umatilla County, Oregon. I, I, I went after Bible college and spent the summer with my, my college roommate in Oregon, and his pastor asked us if we would go and speak at these prisons. So he went to one prison, I went to another prison, and I preached a message. The first message I ever preached, I preached a message called uh, So Close to the Wood, Yet So Far From the Blood. And I preached about how at the foot of the cross on Calvary, when Jesus was being crucified, there were people that were gambling at the feet of Jesus. They were were casting lots, rolling dice at the feet of Jesus. The Roman soldiers were saying, I want his tunic, I want his sandals. And they were literally at the foot of the cross, at the wood, and they were so close to the wood, yet so far from the blood. And I just talked about how so many of us know about Jesus, and we get so close to the cross, but we haven't applied the blood to our lives. And it was me and my Bible and 75 inmates in a prison cafeteria. That was the first message and, then, and here's what I said and the only person who stood up for Jesus that day was a crucified criminal I preached that in in the, in the prisons and 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 seven inmates gave their life to Jesus 21 years ago okay that was my first message it was me my bible 75 inmates in a prison cafeteria the text i just read you was the first sermon ever preached in the history of the church This wasn't me, my Bible, and 75 inmates eating meatloaf. This was Peter, no Bible, just the power of the Holy Spirit, tens of thousands of people in the street, and 3,000 give their life to Jesus. That's crazy, y'all. No flyers, no social media posts, no launch team, no church building. It was just Peter, no Bible, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you five quick truths from this first sermon. I'm going to do this in about 10 or 15 minutes. And I want to give you two responses to those truths. So go back with me to Acts chapter 22. Here's what Peter says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. Watch this. With mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through who? Did through him in your midst. In your midst. In other words, here's the first truth I want to give you. Jesus' claims were not without evidence. Jesus didn't claim to be something that he didn't prove with his actions and his words. His claims are backed up by signs and wonders and works that he performed. Jesus didn't do his work in a corner. He didn't do it behind the scenes. When Jesus came on the street, on the, on the scene, his ministry was public. This, these things that he did, the sermons that he preached, the words that he said, the miracles that he performed were in front of people's He turned water into wine. He healed lepers. He made blind men see. He made deaf ears hear. He made mute mouths speak. He fed 5,000 people with a happy meal. This was the kind of guy that he was. He calmed the sea, then he would walk on the same waters. He would cast out demons. He would heal the sick. He would raise the dead. He performed the 37 public miracles in three years. He declared himself Messiah. He declared himself Son of God. He declared himself the way, the truth, and the life that nobody could get to the Father except through him, and his claims were not without evidence. He was who he says he was, and he proved it by what he did. This is what Peter's saying. He says his claims are not without evidence. He did all these things so you would know, and he didn't do them behind the scenes. You were a witness to this. And in verse 23, it says this, He says, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He says this, you crucified, he's speaking to the Israelites, and killed by the hands of lawless men. He says, this Jesus who did these miracles, this Jesus who declared himself Messiah, this Jesus who was the only son of God, you crucified him. You killed him. If you read the NIV translation, the NIV says, you nailed him to the cross. My second thought is this, Jesus' crucifixion was by our doing. It was by our doing. Peter tells the Israelites, you killed them. That's what he says. Now, when you look at this statement, it has a twofold meaning because he's saying it may have been at the hands of the Roman soldiers, but you killed them. Though Jesus was killed by Roman rule, the Jews had a huge part in making this happen. Remember, it was high-ranking Jewish leaders who felt threatened by Jesus, who then conspired with Roman officials to have Jesus put to death. Also, when Jesus was given the opportunity to be freed by Pilate, the Roman governor, he says, who do you want me to release? We have this criminal Barabbas, and we have this guy, Jesus, who I see no fault in. I'm going to release one. They said, release Barabbas. Then he asked the mob of Jews, then what shall I do with Jesus? It was the mob of Jews, not Romans, who said, crucify, crucify, crucify. So on the surface, Peter is saying, you Jews had a cause in nailing him. It was your actions that caused this to happen, meaning their physical actions led to the death of Jesus. But the meaning of what that statement is much deeper than that. He's saying, it's you. It's It's me. It's it's our sin it's our sinful nature it's the it's the very sins that we committed that nailed Jesus to the cross maybe that's why the prophet Isaiah said this but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him it's by his wounds that we are healed it was on us it was our sins it was our iniquities it was our transgressions that's what that's what Isaiah says 30 years after this the sermon Peter says this uh, when writing to the Gentile Roman Christians he says he himself bore our sins he took my sins upon him what am I saying Nick Carroll killed Jesus my actions killed Jesus my sin killed Jesus. My actions nailed him to the cross and so did yours. We killed Jesus. I, I love in the movie Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's one of the most horrific things I've ever seen watching Jesus nailed to the cross. And you know, Mel Gibson at the time of this, this was 20 years ago when this movie came out. He was at the highlight of his acting career. But when he wrote and produced the movie, The Passion of Christ, Mel Gibson was not in the movie, except for one scene. Here's the scene that Mel Gibson was in the movie. If we could put that picture up. That hand is Mel Gibson's hand because he wanted the whole world to know that his only part in this story was that his sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Y'all, that's not just Mel Gibson's hand. That's my hand. That's your hand. How sobering is that, that our sin nailed him to the cross? And, And number three, though our sin nailed him to the cross and though we killed him, number three, write this down, Jesus' death was not an accident. Look at Acts chapter two, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Which simply means that the crucifixion of Jesus was not man's plan. It was God's plan. This was the predestined plan of God. Why? Jesus was born to die. That's why he was born. Look at this. First Peter chapter one, verse 19 through 20. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, that's talking about the blood of Jesus at the crucifixion. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. What's he saying? He's saying that the crucifixion was always the plan of God. Why? Because God knew, God is all-knowing, he's omniscient, he knew before he created the world that the world was going to fall. In the sin in the garden, he knew that he needed to have a plan. This wasn't plan B. God's plan from before he formed the world was to send his son Jesus to die for our sin. That was the plan of Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus was on purpose with a purpose. What's the purpose? Why did he do this? Because he loves us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave on the cross his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died so we can have life. So in essence, on the cross, Jesus put death to death. You tracking with me so far? That's what Peter is telling these first century Jews. Number, Number four, he tells them Jesus' death was not the final word. He says, though we killed him, Our sin killed him. Look at verse 24, but God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. My God, my God. Peter says, we crucified him, but God raised him. We're responsible for his death, but God brought Jesus back to life. Jesus died on a Friday, but on Sunday morning, his hands started to shake. His feet started to shake. That old body stood back up and he's not in a tomb. He's seated right now at the right hand of the father. That's why he goes on to tell us what David said. He, he began, he says, this is all fulfillment of David's prophecy. And in Acts chapter two, he's preaching what David said some eight, 900 years prior He's quoting Psalm sixteen eight 8 and Psalm 110, 1. He says, For David says concerning this, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not, not, not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh uh, also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to, to Hades or Sheol or Hell or whatever you want to call it. He says, let your Holy One or, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of light life you will make me full of gladness with your presence brother i say to you with confidence about the patriarch david that he both died and was buried and we know where his tomb is today so he's saying david's not talking about himself because we know that david died and was buried and we know exactly where he's buried so he's talking about jesus being therefore a prophet and knowing that God sworn with an oath to take him that set one of his descendants on his throne he foresaw And spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. This is right after the crucifixion and the resurrection. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out uh, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This was the fulfillment of Jesus' ascension. So he's saying... He came, you saw all the miracles. He did all the miracles to tell us who he was. He is the Messiah. He did this, and even though he did it, we killed him because there was a penalty to pay that we couldn't pay ourselves. He paid it for us. We're the ones that put him on the cross. We're the ones that put him on the tomb. But because he's God, he resurrected, and you saw it. He ascended into heaven. And then he says this finally, and he says, because he's ascended into heaven, because he's done all these things, he says this in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord, and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And finally, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. What, what, what do these words even mean? The word, the word Lord is the Greek word kairos. And it means sir. It means master. It, it literally translates the one who has control over you. It was a term that was only rendered to Caesar. They would say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is master. Caesar is in control. Caesar is in charge. Whatever Caesar said, you obeyed. So Peter says Jesus is Lord, and he also says that Jesus is Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one. So in essence, what Peter is saying is that Jesus is the chosen anointed one who came to save us from the penalty and the powers of sin. He's saying before you came to Christ, you had a different master. Romans 6 tells us that that master was sin, that sin was our master. But because Jesus came, we crucified him, put him in a grave. Because he resurrected, he is now Lord and Savior. He is the master of our lives. You have a new master and you have a new Lord. So the first message that was ever preached in the church was the message of Lordship. That Jesus is in control. That Jesus is our master. He says he's the Lord. That's different from the messages we preach a lot of times. We always want to talk about Jesus as our Savior. There's a big difference between Jesus, our Savior, and Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, my Savior, speaks to Jesus changing my eternity. Jesus, my Lord, speaks to Jesus changing me. Are you with me? He's not just after your eternity so that you get to heaven. He's after how you live here on earth, too. And many people want Jesus as their Savior, they just don't want him as their Lord. Are you tracking with me? The question is, is, is Jesus really our Lord? And here's the reality. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You, you can't have it both ways. We have to give him every part of who he is. He can't just be over one area of our life, one area. He has to be over every area. I want to read the scripture to you. At first glance, look like it has nothing to do with lordship, but just listen to it. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me just stop there. We will inherit one of two kingdoms. We either go into heaven or hell. There's no other way around it. You with me? Okay. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Listen, he's speaking of sexual issues and marriage issues. Okay? Just just with me. Go with me. Nor thieves, nor greedy. That's money issues. Nor drunkards. That's addiction issues. Nor slanders, that's the mind, the mouth, and the heart issues. Nor swindlers, that's, that's people who are dishonest, will inherit the kingdom of God. That about sums it all up, doesn't it? Okay, now watch this. And that was some of us. That was me. You can go ahead and put my name right there. That was me. That was me. That was me. That was you. But Watch this. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Can you give God thanks for that? That was some of us. Okay. He wants all of it. He doesn't just want you to get right in one area of your life. He says, I want you to get right in every area of your life. So my question is not when we say, is he Lord? Is he the Lord of your life? Okay, here's how you answer that question. Is he the Lord of your mind? Is he the Lord of your money? Is he the Lord of your mouth? Is he the Lord of your marriage? Is he the Lord of your sexuality? Because we are living in a day and age where we are pushing lordship to the side. Give me the benefits of Christianity. Bless me, just don't mess with me. I want to feel good in the church, I want some scriptures to make me feel better about myself. Give me all the stuff, give me the peace of mind, just don't mess with me. Don't change who I am, don't change the way I think, don't change what I look at, don't change who I sleep with, don't change who I vote for, don't change what comes natural to me. Listen to me. People tell me all the time, oh, you, you can't talk about that sin. That sin just comes natural to some people. Sin comes natural to all people. We are born into sin. That's why when people say, well, I was born that way. Yes, you were born that way. I was born that way. That's why we got to get born again. Yeah. Are you tracking with me? There's areas of all of our lives that come natural to us. And you can read the scripture and you can say, well, that one doesn't go for me. Yeah, but other parts of that scripture come with you. It was natural for me to chase women and get drunk. And the propensity would be to say, well... That just feels natural to me. That's just what I'm going to do. That's the way that God made me. No, that's the area of my life that I haven't given over to the Lordship of Jesus yet. You tracking? Okay. This is why we need a Lord and master because everyone in this room has things that they deal with that comes natural to them. It's some, for some of us, it's how we respond to people. How you think. For some of us, it, it's addictions. I know people that addictions just come to them. There's some people you don't understand addiction. I know people, it's, they just have an addictive life. There's some people, it's sexual tendencies, both heterosexual and homosexual. It just comes natural. Of course it does. Those are the areas, though, that we have to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Why? Because we need a new master. And if Jesus isn't your Lord, if he isn't your master, that means that you are your master. And the problem being with with you being your master is you can't save yourself. So we need Jesus to be our Lord. That's what Peter tells them. So they heard this, and I love this scripture. It says when they heard this, it says it cut to their heart. Cut me deep, Shrek. And then he says this, he, they, they look at him, they look at the Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the next verse says, this is what Peter tells them, Peter said to them two things, here's what you got to do, repent and be baptized. Peter says, Jesus must be your Lord. The people said, oh, that cut me deep. What do we need to do? And Peter said two things, repent and be baptized. And in, in our remaining time, I just want to look at those two words. Let's start with that word, repent. What does it really mean to repent? Everybody say repent. Repent. It's really not a popular word in church anymore. Repentance doesn't draw a crowd. It doesn't fill buildings. People don't really want to hear repentance. People in America today, they want a God that's a Santa Claus God. They want a God that will come down the chimney and give them whatever their desire wants. The God people want today is always giving something and requiring nothing in return. The God that people want today is a God that will allow you to stay in your sin, never changing. The God that people want today will bring you success but requires little sacrifice. The God that people want today is the God of revival without the God of repentance. And when Peter preaches his first message, the first message ever preached... In the New Testament, listen to me. It's not about faith. It's not about blessing. It's not about you can have it if you can grab it and blab it. It's not about you can possess it if you can confess it. It's about repentance. What does that even mean to repent? I just want to give you two definitions of repent. Number one, write this down. Repentance is a changed mind. It is a changed mind mind. The Greek word for repent is the Greek word metanoia. It literally means that the neurons of your brain have been refunctioned and rebooted to think something else. Metanoia is a change of mind. That's important for us to understand because a lot of times we think of repentance as sorrow. Like, oh, I'm, I, I'm sorry. We, we associate repentance with being sorry. And that's a part of it, but it's not all of it, because I know some people that are sorry about something they haven't changed their mind about. Don't act like you don't hear me. Have you ever been sorry about something you did only to wake up the next day and do it again? We become, you know, Britney Spears Christians. Oops, I did it again. So when he says repent, it literally means to turn your mind around. It means to change your mindset, to change the way that you think. Can I go deeper? Israel had lost their identity. Israel at this point had been broken up into tribes and sects and groups. You had all these different cultures of Israelites. That's why on the day of Pentecost it was so important that they heard the gospel for the first time. They began to speak in languages that they understood for the first time since Babel. In Genesis 11, mankind was coming together for the same time to hear the same thing. They they had separated. They had tribalized. There was many different languages. Even even the religious groups had separated themselves into the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and the Scribes. These, These groups mixed religion and culture and politics so much to the point that their mindset was cultivated more by culture than it was by God. So they begin to look and act more like their ethnic group, more like their social group, more like their political party, and more like their culture than they did their God. Does that sound familiar here in America? And it gets to the point where culture got so much into religion and religion got so much in culture that you couldn't even tell them apart anymore. And the more I read this and the more I study it, the more that it looks like America today. And this is the atmosphere that Peter is speaking in and the first thing he says is, repent. Change Your Mind. So when he says repent, he's saying it's time to pull your mind away from the foolishness of your culture. You stop that. You have to stop thinking like a Pharisee. You have to stop thinking like a Sadducee. You have to stop thinking like, like a, a, a scribe. You have to stop thinking like a Republican. You have to stop thinking like a Democrat. You have to stop thinking like a socioeconomic group. You have to stop thinking like culture and start thinking like God, so you have to repent. We have to stop the way that we're thinking. It all starts with thinking. Look what he says in the book of Ephesus. He says in this, in Ephesians chapter four, he says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles do. Quit walking like your culture. Quit walking like the people that you came out of. I didn't call you to think like a Republican. I didn't call you to think like a white man. I didn't call you to think like a Democrat. I didn't call you to think like what CNN says or Fox News says. I want you to think about what the word of God says. You have to put on Christ. This is Christ's culture. That's what you are part of. So quit walking the way that you're walking. Why? He says, quit walking as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Why? In the futility of their mind. Where does this start? The mind. Having their understanding darkened. That's what happens when we don't repent. Your understanding gets darkened. So we no longer think and say what the word of God says. We think and say what our favorite news outlet says. And when that happens, he says, we are being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Because of the blindness that's in their heart gets in us. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. To the work of uncleanness with greedness. But you have not learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and you have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, you have put off. Concerning your former conduct, the old man, there's an old man that lives inside of every single one of us, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. and be renewed in your the spirit of your, he goes on to say, therefore put off lying. He goes into all these different things to put off. And I just want you to see this, all these other sins. And here's what I want you to see that sin starts in the mind. And if we don't change our mind, we will never change your ways. That's why scripture says over and over again to renew our mind. You've got to renew our mind. Why? Because your mind is a collection of memories and your actions are the children of your mind. So we act like what we think like, don't we? That's why scripture says, as a man thinketh, so he is. What am I saying? We, we, we want a renewed mind, but you can't have renewal without repentance. So how, how do we change our mind? You can't just, I change my mind. No, it takes some action. Why? Because repentance starts with thinking, but it leads to a change in action. Number two, repentance is a change direction. You want to know how to change your mind about something? Walk away from it. I remember I was going on this diet. Y'all ever been on a diet? I'd always start on Monday. Oh, it's Tuesday. I got to wait till next week. I'd make up my mind every, I'm, I'm starting Monday. But until I walk away from the buffet table, until I quit going to Billy's and getting six links Sometimes you just have to change your direction. In Ezekiel chapter 14, God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel to share a message with his people. And God says this, therefore say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent. Then he says this, turn from your idol. You've got to walk away. You, you, you have to walk away. You have to change direction. It's, it's not just a changed mind. It's a change in behavior. It's a change in trajectory. It's a change in direction. Why? Because a divinely changed mind will always result in changed behavior. You remember the word metanoia? I told you repent. Well, it was actually a military term. Anybody in here, you serve in the military? Raise your hand very high. Thank you so much for your sacrifice and service. Thank you, every one of you. I know this that when you go to boot camp you get assigned a drill instructor right Dwayne yeah. and he's known for being really nice isn't he and pleasant every day and they will call out commands and one of the commands they will tell you is about face which literally means to do what other way the greek word for about face is metanoia so when the Greeks were training for military, their drill sergeant wouldn't say about face. He would say, repent, and they would turn around and march the other way. That's what repentance means. That's what metanoia is. It is it's when you change your direction, you stop and you change your direction. So when Peter says, repent, he says, change your direction. Stop heading in the same direction of the world. Stop heading in the same direction of culture. Stop heading in the same direction of your sin. You got to stop and here's what people get caught up all the time. They say, well, what about grace? Cause I'm covered. Grace is the most misappropriated word in the Christian language. When it comes to grace, people go wrong in one of two ways. There's some people in this room, you think that what you've done is so horrendous that God's grace isn't big enough for you, and so you can't forgive yourself, much less allow God to forgive you. That's one side. Or the other side is that we just take it for granted and abuse it. So group one, maybe some of you are in this group, you you feel like grace is too weak to rescue you. What you've done is too big. And so you'll say things like, well, I had an abortion. Or I was unfaithful. What I've done hurt them too much. What I've done cost too much. Listen to me. There is nothing that is too big for God's grace. He will cover you right where you're at. Not only will he cover it, he will forget it. Psalm 103 says, when he removes our sins, he forgets them as far as the east is from the west. I don't care how far you travel east, you never go back west. You're always heading east. So there's a group of you, you've done some stuff that is, in your eyes, is unforgivable and you don't believe, listen to me, the grace of God is for you. It is for you. Okay. There's another group, however, though. We live our lives like grace is some cheap perfume that covers the stench of our sin. And so we'll do whatever we want, whenever we want, because we say, oh, grace, I'm covered. That's not what grace is. Grace is the power to change. Look at Titus two eleven. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present day and age. So Jesus is all grace, but his grace gives us power to change directions. So he covers us in our sins and says, you're covered like it never happened, but you've got to change and go back the other way. Are you with me? This was evident in Jesus' ministry. Watch this. Vic, help me out. One time Jesus was called by the religious leaders, and here's what they tell him in John chapter eight. Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. This ain't like a rumor. Can you imagine? They caught her, like, in the act. The law of Moses says to stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him and saying something they can use against him. But Jesus stood down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said again, all right, but let one of you who has never sinned. Throw the first stone. Some theologians believe that when Jesus was writing in the dust with his finger, he was writing the names of all the men who were there and he was writing some of their sins as well. That's what some of the theologians believe. So he stands up and says, who has never sinned? Throw the first stone. So they start seeing their name and their sins there and says, some Jesus stood down and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Why? Because they didn't want nobody to see their name. With the oldest until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. That's grace. And then look at the second part, though. Not go and sin no more. That's repentance. Don't go back. What am I saying? I'm saying this morning, I just want to take a moment just for us to stop and change directions. To repent. To repent. It's true that God will meet you where you are. But he meets you where you are so he can move you from there. People says all the time, God loves me just the way I am. That's true. But he loves you way too much to keep you that way too. So he comes in with grace and says, come just as you are. It is true. It doesn't matter what you did last night. That's the grace. Just don't do it again tonight. Change. New direction. And sometimes the problem we've had in church is that we talked so much about salvation and being saved that we haven't talked about the Lordship of change. And so you have to get in a point in your life when Jesus becomes your Lord, your master, that it requires change. And the only way you can change is by repenting. That's what we're going to do this morning. By ourselves, in our seat. I'm not going to pray a prayer for you, because it's you and me. We need to repent. Why? Repent because I'm doing what I like, but I no longer like what I do. Repent because I've been coming to church for years, but I've never really changed the way that I live. Repent because I come to church on Sunday and sing about God's love, but I'm still shackled in my hatred and my bigotry. Repent. Why? Because you date ungodly men just so you won't feel lonely. Repent because I hear God's word every weekend but never apply it to my life. Repent because i share my opinions about the president on Facebook with a bunch of strangers but I won't share my people with the people that I love. Repent because you and Tina have been living together for 10 years shacking up never giving an ounce of energy to getting married and doing it God's way. Repent of a sin in my life that I've been given excuses for why I can't give it to God. Repent. Because not one person at work knows that I'm a Christian. Because I'm heading the same direction they are. Repent. 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 How do you repent? It just starts by saying, Lord, forgive me know what you need to repent from. I, I don't know the areas in your life that you haven't given over to the Lordship of Christ. But you do. i wish just going to take two minutes right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed. In your own way. It can be under your breath. It can be in your mind. There's struggles and obstacles that are popping in your mind right now things that have been tripping you up, areas that you haven't given over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in your mind, it starts with repentance. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me for doing that. Forgive me for saying that. Forgive me for thinking that. Forgive me for not giving this area over to you. Would you just ask him to forgive you right now, whatever it is? Just forgive me. Then after you ask him to forgive you, ask him to cover you in his grace. Lord, cover me in your grace. Then ask him, Lord, through your grace, give me the power to change my direction. Let me walk in a new way. And when you do that, that is repentance. Now watch this. You can look at me. We can't just do this one time on a Sunday. We got to do this every day. Now, now, Now listen to me. There's an initial time of repentance when you come into the knowledge of who Christ is. And it, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to have struggles and it doesn't mean that you're not going to fall short. We fall short daily. But, but we have to continue to ask him to forgive us every time we do fall. So Peter tells him, repent, repent, change direction. And then he says the second word, and I'm closing with this, give me five minutes. He says, and be baptized. Everybody say baptism. The word baptism... Comes from the Greek word "baptismo," which means to submerge, to to go under, to, to be engulfed in, to go under something. Tonight we're going to do baptism. Some of you had no idea that you're going to get you're going to get baptized tonight. Some of you in this room, you're going to get baptized tonight. You had no idea, but when you woke up today, tonight today is your day of baptism. You're going to get baptized tonight. Why? Give me five minutes. Why would Peter tell them to be baptized? Why should we be baptized? It was Jesus' idea. It was Jesus' idea. You remember how we started this whole sermon series in Acts 1 and Matthew 28? This is Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So Jesus' last words to me and you are go, that we go into the marketplace and we go into your neighborhood, wherever you go, go be a witness. He goes, make disciples, make followers do to others what has been done to you. And then he says, baptize them. That's what he says. Baptize them. So Jesus commanded it. But watch this. Not only did Jesus command it, but Jesus modeled it. Why? Because what Jesus modeled, Jesus meant. So Jesus didn't just tell us to pray. He goes to the garden and he shows us how to pray. Jesus doesn't just tell us to serve. He, he, he gets on his hands and knees and he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus doesn't just tell us to be baptized, it was the very first thing he did publicly. Here it is. I'm going to read it to you. Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, John was probably one of the most passionate preachers of the day. This wasn't John the disciple. This was John the Baptist. And he would, he would preach, repent, and be baptized. That's what he would preach. So Jesus comes on and he says this. He says, John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. But you come to me, and Jesus' is like, no, you baptize me. And John's like, no, you baptize me. And then Jesus' is like, no, you baptize me. And he's, Jesus' is like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. That's, that was happening. And then finally, John gives in. He says, okay, Jesus, I'll baptize you. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all night righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. Then he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice came from heaven and said, This is my son who I love with him, and I'm well pleased. Don't ever let somebody tell you that baptism is just a symbi- symbolic event. It's not till Jesus is baptized that we hear God say that's my boy. You with me? This is the moment that Jesus' ministry begin. So why do we do it? Because it was Jesus' idea. What does it mean to be baptized? Listen to me. When you're baptized, you are publicly standing with Christ. I've had people, well-meaning people, ask me all the time, "Can you baptize me in private?" I don't want anybody to see I'm a shy person. Listen to me. You are missing the most important part of why we get baptized. When you get baptized, you are publicly standing with Christ. Galatians 3 says it this way. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So in essence, when you get baptized, you clothe yourself with Christ. You, you, you put on the Jesus label. You check your tag. You have the Jesus label. Every year I watch the Oscars. And I just watch it for one reason. I like when the celebrities stand on the red carpet. Because they ask every single celebrity one question. They ask him this question who are you wearing? There's two things I've never heard a celebrity say. Number one, I've never heard anybody say Old Navy. (laughs) Target. Never. And I've never heard somebody say, I'm not telling you. It's too personal. Why? Because labels represent value. Labels represent cost. So when they say, who are you wearing? They proudly say, Alexander McQueen. Armani. Oscar de la Renta. They, 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 they proudly, why? Because we identify ourselves by what we wear. So in verse 27, Paul, Peter says, or Paul says, for all of you who are baptized in Christ, clothe yourself with Christ. He's saying when you baptize yourself, you are publicly standing on the red carpet of life telling everybody who you ha- you're wearing. I'm wearing Jesus. And when they ask him who they're wearing, listen, That dress wasn't from the Oscars six years ago. This was the first time it's been worn because they put on something that was brand new. Do you know what the Bible says about you and I when we accept Christ, when we repent? It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, the new things are coming. So when you are saved, when you're born again, when you repent, you become brand new. Do you know what you do with brand new things? You show them off. That's why when you ladies go and you get your nails done and you get them all shellacked, you put them bad boys in the counter when you're at Target paying because you want everybody to see that you spent $35 on that shellacking. It's like, ladies, when you get a new man, you take him everywhere. Look at my boo. He got him a good job. Get over here by me, boy. Why? Because when you got something brand new, you show it off. You ever seen a lady with a brand new baby? Thank God he don't look like his daddy. You ever got a new car? You drive that mug everywhere. I got the milk, baby. I'm going. I want to drive my new truck. That's why when you get a new house, you have a housewarming party. Your house don't need to be warm. You just want everybody to come see it. Why? Because when something is brand new, you show it off. Listen to me. If you've been made brand new through repentance, show yourself off. And the way that you do that is publicly. You don't buy new shoes and just wear them in your living room. Pastor Mines has got the red Jordans on this morning. He was Prancing up here. <laughs> Y'all know where Jesus got baptized? I read it to you earlier. Anybody know? He was at the Jordan River. Do you know why the Jordan River? Because it was the most public place of their day. It's where they went to get their drinking water. It's where they went to wash clothes. It's where they went to cool off. It's where they went to fish. It, it would be like the most, it's like going to Walmart. It was the most public place. This is why we do it publicly, because we're declaring I'm not my own anymore. I stand with Jesus. It's, it's like this, this, this wedding ring. All it is is an outward visible sign of what's happened in my heart. That I'm declaring to the world that Rachel Carroll and I aren't two people anymore. We are one. That I am hers and she is mine and everybody else is off limits. Baptism is the wedding ring. This ring doesn't make me any more married. It just lets everybody know that I am. What am I saying? Salvation is the marriage. Baptism is the ring. And by the way, they're both done publicly. That's why we raise our hands on a Sunday morning. Jesus said this, whoever acknowledges me before man, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before man, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And finally, I'm closing. I got 48 seconds on my clock. When should I be baptized? Because some of you have dismissed me already. Like, I I was baptized as a kid. We live in a culture where everybody was baptized as an infant. I was was baptized at six weeks old. Was anybody else baptized as an infant in this place? Yeah, like 80% of us. Watch this. Peter said, Acts 2.38, repent and Then be baptized. Baptism always comes after repentance. When I was six weeks old, I couldn't repent. My mama thinks I should have repented for all that crying I did, but how many know I couldn't repent at six weeks old? What am I saying? Baptism doesn't happen after the first birth. It happens after the second birth. So I gave my life to Jesus in 1998. I was baptized again in 1990 nine. Why am I saying this? Because some of you today, you repented for the first time. Some of you, you, you repented last week. Some of you have spent months, but you've never been baptized. I am double dog daring you. Will you come back tonight in front of all these people? We're going to, see, there's a, there's a big water tank right here behind this curtain. And we just, it's like the Wizard of Oz. We pull back the curtain It's like a big old hot tub and our pastors are going to be in there and we're going to baptismo you. We fully submerge you underwater. And all that is, is publicly symbolizing what has happened to your life that you went under into a watery grave and you came up through repentance, a brand new person.